0: If you are born again in Jesus Christ, God is making you into something different. There is absolutely no getting around this because when the Spirit of God takes root in your life, he goes about beginning a work of transforming you over the course of your life so that you literally become a different kind of Person, the kind of person that God always imagined humanity to be and the kind of person that God has designed you to be. This is an inevitability. You can't stop this one. It is like a roaring freight train. If you are born again and the Spirit is in you, God is making you different. Let me give you an example today. We have been talking about The Ten Commandments. And we've been talking about the Ten Commandments as a mirror, if you will, of ways that God is shaping us, forming us, or making us different, you know? These are ways that kind of outline or elucidate different ways that God is changing us. Now, the first commandment, which we shared last week, which I'd like you to repeat with me after I say it, is this, you shall have no other gods before me. No, I want you to put that on your lips. You shall have no other gods before me. thank you. You shall have no other gods before me. Tattoo that in your mind and on your heart. Burn that in. All of us want things. Maybe you're here today. And the things that you want can be described anywhere something like this. You want him. Or you want her. You want the guy. You want the girl. Maybe it's a little bit less sanctified than that, and it's not even them that you want, but something that they will give you, a position, a security, or their body. Maybe you're here today. You have dreams. There's goals. You're a goal-oriented kind of guy or a goal-oriented kind of woman, and there's things that you just want so badly, passions that stir in your heart and you, you revolve your life around pursuing them. There are things that you like that bring you laughter and joy, things that you pursue or maybe the security that they bring of possessions or wealth. There's things I'm sure that you want here today, things that you desire, the happy family, the position of security. The ability to do something, to be recognized, to be known, to leave a legacy or whatever else might fit. It's good to want things. These are wonderful gifts of God. But if you are born again in Christ, suddenly you find yourself start wanting God And and, and not only do you find yourself wanting God, you start finding yourself going, huh, I think I might even want God more than I want this. Now, it's not always clean cut. Sometimes there's a tension that comes with this, where there's this thing that you want, and then there's the God who gives it, and you're wrestling between which takes priority, which you want more. But when you are born again in Christ... And when you are filled or impacted by his Holy Spirit, it's inevitable. You are just going to want God in your life, and more and more, you are going to want to put God first. Are you kind of with me? Are you following what I mean? When I say, if you are in Christ, God is making you into someone different, because people aren't like that. People who aren't in Christ don't often want God, or at least that much of him. They certainly often don't want to put him first. It's kind of weird. Would you agree? It creates a lot of trouble in life. It even at times causes you to have to sacrifice things that are good that you love make no mistake being different will make you weird it will set you apart. you will be in the minority people won't know what to do with you sometimes you won't even get yourself but god invites you to trust him to go i who am bringing and beginning a good work in you and bringing it somewhere i am bringing you somewhere to a maturity a completion a telos I am bringing you to a finish line where you will be someone who shines in the way I've designed you to be. This is what it's all about. Today, what I'd like to do is root in a different example and continuing to use the Ten Commandments as a guide, so to speak, for the ways that God is making us different, we are going to move to commandment number two. Now, remember off the bat that these commandments function as deeper than just simple commands. And lodge that in your brain for a moment. We'll circle back on that. Let me share the command, if I can call it a command, with you first. And the way I have to do it is using some of the older translations that capture something that many of the newer ones miss. I learned it from the old King James. You'll find this now in the RSV and ESV pipeline and many others as well, and it goes like this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Maybe more literally, we could say, you shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain. Because Yahweh is his name, we shall not take it in vain. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You think you have it? Say it with me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now let's say it with his proper name. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain. Right? There it is. Let's see if we can do them both. First commandment. That was weak. You shall have no other gods before me. Let's get it again. And number two. Yeah, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, or you shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain. Now, I'm not just trying to like, oh, come on, you're making me say stuff in church or do stuff like that. That's not really my motivation here. I want you to know it. I want you to learn it because God will work through those words. It's a template by which to understand what's happening inside, what God is doing to you and what God is calling you to simultaneously. And being able to say it, trying to memorize it, there is value in that. Burn it in your brain. Now when I say, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, or when you hear a command like that, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, I bet it translates something like this. Well, I'm not to say bad words when I say God's name. So so don't take God and add your favorite four-letter word on top of it. Right? Maybe some of you push it more. I was brought up to be taught that you don't even talk about God too casually. You don't say things like, oh my God, right? Because even that might be flirting with taking God's name a little too much in vain. Now, I know our pregame show is pushing this a little bit more and they're like, well, okay, what if I say like, oh my gosh, is that okay? Because we all know what we're doing there. We're just substituting a name. Is that taking the name in vain? Or what if I just kind of text OMG, How far do you push it? But however you navigate this, my bet is the way that you approach this command is, well, okay, I'm not supposed to talk a certain way around God. I'm not supposed to talk a certain way about God. I certainly shouldn't talk a certain way when I use God's name. Don't just get mad and go, Jesus Christ, or something like that. And as long as I don't do those kinds of things, I guess I'm following the commandment. Is that how you've approached it? That's kind of how you think about it. If so, I think you're in good company here today. That's how I always thought about it and how it was always taught to me. But what I want to impress on you is what I asked you to put on that back burner earlier, that these commands, while being commands, are more than commands. The Ten Commandments aren't actually called Ten Commandments in the Bible. Do you know what they're called? Ten words. Or maybe better, Ten ideas. Because what the Ten Commandments are meant to do is function less as just a top ten list that God has made for you to follow and more as a table of contents to ten key ways that God is making you different if you are in Him. And the different kind of life that gets demonstrated by someone who is Born again. So that should tell us that while this command is certainly true, that we should not inappropriately use God's name in all kinds of ways people do it today, there is more going on here than meets the eye. Now, something always bothered me about this command. It always struck me as a a bit of an oddity or a curiosity, if you will. If this is about not saying, bad words with God or talking too casually about him. Why say the command the way it's said? Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Why don't we just say something like this? Don't you misuse God's name. Don't talk about God inappropriately. Don't talk about God too casually. Wouldn't that be a little bit clearer to you? It's interesting to me that in... uh, uh, a number of modern English translations, the NIV being one of them, which is a favorite of mine, will actually translate the commandment that way. It'll say, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. But it's not really what the word take means. Oh, sure, I can make this argument that like, I'm not to like take it upon my lips or I'm not to take it into my writing, but who, who talks this way? The early Hebrews certainly didn't, and I think we just kind of chalk it up to as like archaic Bible King Jamesism, kind of speaking. What does it mean to take a name? I'd like you to think that way here today. I mentioned it a moment ago, my oldest daughter, Reagan, is getting married in seven days, at which point she will cease to bear the name Gedini. And will take a new name. Everts. Instead. She will be Reagan Makira Everts. R-M-E. Kinda rolls for me. What does it mean to take someone's name? Some of you have adopted a child. And in the adoption process, something happened to that child's name. It changed. They ceased to be called by this name and took your name instead because this child will now be identified with me. What is God saying? You who are born again in Christ are nothing short of the children of God. In the Exodus, the very place that God gives his 10 commandments, he says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I will treat my firstborn son that way. When Pharaoh comes against his firstborn son, he says, you kill my firstborn son, I will strike down the firstborn son of everyone in Egypt to show you what my son means to me when you take the name of Yahweh. Something changes. You are identified as being of him. You are of God, and God wants your name impressed, his name oppressed upon you. Your name to be his name. And what he tells ancient Israel and what he tells us today is don't take it lightly. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't say you're a Christian because it's convenient. Don't take it because it's the expedient thing to do. Don't identify by Jesus Christ just because it seems popular or that's what you're supposed to do or that's how your parent raised you. Don't hold the name that has been given to you lightly. Don't take it vainly. Don't take it with a certain sense of vanity. A certain sense of futility. Do we even talk about taking things in vain anymore? Who talks that way? Do you talk that way? The only time I think it really comes up is like, man, I worked my butt off yesterday and it was like, it was all in vain. We don't really even talk that way, but it's maybe the closest we can get. What does it mean when I say we did it in vain? That it was all for nothing? Don't let your name for nothing. Don't live your Christian life as though it's for nothing. Don't represent God and pour yourself in as though it's futile. So many times I've met with people who thought if they can make the right Christian moves, say the right Christian things, do the right Christian studies, that life would suddenly change in the way that they had envisioned their God not this God. And when it doesn't work out, they throw in the towel going, what was the point? It seemed to have brought me more hardship than help. It seemed to be, bring me more trouble than good. Oh, God comes to ancient Israel and God comes to you. And he says, you who I am choosing to put my name upon, don't hold it. Lightly, because you have been given a sacred name, a holy name, a powerful name, a special name. Because you bear my name, there is something special, different, holy about you. Do you think about your identity in Christ as a sacred thing? a holy thing, a precious and special thing? Or do you carry it casually and hold it lightly? Are you following me? Because make no mistake, God is special. We live in a day and age where we like to call everyone special But have you ever realized that when everyone is special, no one is really special? Because everything is just the same? No, God is set apart. God is different. God is fundamentally other. And we can call things and think of things with a certain degree of specialness in our life. But God is light years and quantum leaps. Beyond that, there is something so holy about God because to be holy just means to be set apart. That's all the word means. And when you are in God and when God's name is upon you, do you know what that means? You are special too. It doesn't make you better than the people around you. Though I hope honestly that you are. I hope that the work that God is doing in your life does make you qualitatively better than the people who are around you. That's the work God is trying to do, is make you better. But better, not because there's something so wonderful about you, because there's so something, so, something so wonderful about him. And when you are marked with his name and filled with his spirit, oh, don't hold that lightly, That is a precious gift. And God comes to the people of Israel and knows our inclination to hold things lightly. How many of us can recount our own spiritual journey that when we came to Christ, we were on fire, we were moved in ways that we look back now on five, 10, or 20 years later and don't hold the same. Because God has become comfortable, like an old pair of shoes. And are we guilty of treating him the same? Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. To reduce this command to just not talking a certain way about God is to merely scratch the surface. Would you do something with me today? Would you take out your thumb? And would you take out your opposite arm? And would you just go like this? Would you agree now that there is more to your arm than the simple skin cells that are under your nail? To say the second commandment is fundamentally about not saying a four letter word with God's name or avoiding the phrase OMG is as scratching the surface as this. There is so much more going on here. It is about the majesty and glory and holiness of God and the majesty and glory and holiness of who He is making you to be and not holding it lightly. It's a high call, would you agree? Because I'll tell you this. When you take the name of Yahweh, when you take the name of Jesus upon yourself, you know what I mean? When you identify as one of his, whether it be verbally or by what you wear or where you go or how people see you, when you bear the name of God, people judge God by it? I think of someone like Gandhi who says, I love Jesus and would be a Christian if it weren't for the other Christians. A man who probably lived the teachings of Jesus in many ways more than the Christians who had surrounded him in his day and age. Did they bear God's name well or take it lightly? And what ramifications did it have on the salvation of a man who did amazing things in this world, who was blinded from them, Because people simply didn't take seriously the second command. I can't tell you the amount of people I have conversations with who have walked away from God because of how Christians have acted or treated them. It's far more common in this day and age, and certainly in our culture, for people to be de-churched rather than unchurched. Do you know what I mean by that? Someone who is unchurched is someone who really never had the way of God in any intentional or formal way in a faith community in their life. But someone who is de-churched is someone who did have it, but walked away from it. And nine times out of ten, it isn't because they were reading this and came across some command of God going, Forget that! It wasn't because of something that they couldn't reconcile in their mind with a Christian worldview, a proper Christian worldview at least, over and against everything else. It's because what they saw going on in their church, pettiness and backbiting, gossiping and hurt, coldness, distance, cliquishness, and sadly sometimes far more toxic things, particularly among those who stand on stages like these and purport to bear his name boldly. Make no mistake, there is a high call in taking his name because God has put something upon you that people see and they will judge God by you that the character and quality by which you bear his name has a ripple effect whether you like it or not and how people will view God himself and also sometimes carry his name like you. Oh, and God warns, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain because there is something so precious, important, and significant and what my name does in this world. Which may lead you to a conclusion here this morning, that to take his name is to live a life of utter holiness, if not near perfection. And you know what? You'd be right. God wants you to. God wants you to live a life of holiness. Jesus himself will say this Matthew chapter 5, chapter and verse, check me, prove me wrong. Be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. You bear his name, so be perfect. Be like him. But what would be a mistake? is to stand up against this high calling of what it means to be a name-bearer of the living God and to walk away in despair with futility, knowing, I will never be that. Because the people that God invites to bear his name are not the holy and the perfect but the miserable wretches like you and me. To bear the name of God with significance is not to stand up and say, look at me, aren't I wonderful? Now you've gone off the rails if that's what you think. It's to say, look at me, a poor, miserable sinner. Named and redeemed by the living God himself as to stand up on a stage and say, I am a murderer. I am an adulterer. I am a thief. I am a liar. I am a chief. I am a backbiter. I am a gossip. I am a... But God has died for me. Jesus has come to someone like me. Jesus has named someone like me and invited someone like me To bear his name. The greatest way that you can bear the name of Jesus is not a life of perfection, but a life of repentance. A life of transparent humility. A life that says, I am not good, God is good. And I throw myself on his mercy. And in so doing, God takes someone like me. What the world needs is not perfect people. What the world needs is humble and repentant ones. Those are the people that bear the name mightily. To bear God's name today is to come to him as you are. As you are, without downplaying it, hiding it, rationalizing it, soft-pedaling it, or trying to give excuse for it, but simply to say, yeah, that's me. That's me. But God died for someone like me. You getting what I mean? Are you getting what God is getting at when he's talking about? Bearing his name. It's why at FOF we use this phrase a lot that while not as important as the Ten Commandments, I think is also worth knowing. Come as you are. But don't stay that way. Or maybe better put, come as you are and let God make you different. And if you get that, oh, I think you got this because that's what he's going to do in your life if you're born again in Jesus and in his spirit. And if you're not, come as you are. Admit it. Call on his name. Call on his name, Lord. Here I am. In all my ugly glory. Glory. Would you put your name upon a sinner like me? And let me tell you today, he will. I don't care who you are, he will. I don't care your journey, he will. Whatever it might be. <laughs> Jesus will call you brother. God will call you son or daughter. Let the gravity of bearing God's name sink deep in your soul today.